0: <laughs> so today uh, is the Sunday of Love. And um, Sammy read for us uh, these two just brilliant passages from the, the book of Isaiah that, uh, that foretell or foreshadow that uh, God's going to do something, and God's going to do something tremendous through this coming uh, son of David, right? Now you can imagine that uh, every age of of Israelites that maybe would read that book would hope that maybe now will be the moment when this son would be born because the promises in that, those two are pretty crazy promises, right? Uh, My favorite is in in, uh, um, that Isaiah 11 where, where he says that because of what this this coming king, this coming Messiah will do that infants will be able to play with poisonous snakes. Right? <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Uh, so who wouldn't? Um, well, I don't really want that. I don't know if you would want that, but uh, I'm not going to take that risk at this point in my life. I'm not going to uh, not going to take that particular risk. But what incredible promises, what big, gigantic Amazing promises of what will happen as the outcome of this person's work, this coming Savior, this coming King, this coming uh, agent of God, this coming Messiah. And its I think all, it's all an expression of God's love. Now, the people of Israel thought it was an expression of God's love for them, right? What they were hoping, they were uh, they were wandering in exile. They were uh, in a position, especially during the times of.
1: I feel like there's an
0: echo, <laughs> saying everything twice. Uh, the uh, so in the time of Jesus, in the time just before his birth, in that particular situation—how wonderful these promises must have seemed, right? Because the people of Israel, in their in their context, in their time, in that that situation, they had a king whose name was Herod. And everybody knew that Herod was not going to do any of the stuff that was promised in the book of Isaiah, right? Herod was more likely to toss your kid into a den of adders than to make the adders be okay. Herod was a uh, diabolical guy. And Herod was not really Jewish. He was uh, uh, an Edomite. From, it was brought in by the Romans from a southern kingdom, and he had just enough Jewish heritage that they felt like they could sort of put him in and say that he was he was okay. And so Herod was their king. Herod was their king. And then, of course, they've got the oppression of Rome, uh, where Rome was kind enough to let them practice their religion. Uh, but that was about it. They were uh, also kind enough to take a lot of their money away from them and to uh, impose all sorts of different uh, governors who would do atrocious things to the people, and so you can imagine if, if you read these chap this passage Isaiah nine and Isaiah eleven as the Jews would do um, at some point during their year, probably on uh, during a the time of uh, on the Sabbath or uh, at synagogue, they would probably read at some point from these these little passages in Isaiah. you can imagine. I can imagine somebody reading that and thinking, this is a God who cares. This is a God who loves. These promises must come from a God who cares about us, must come from a God who loves us. And then the challenge would be to believe that he would be faithful to those things. So these promises come out of God's love. How many of us have been promised things by those who love us? And they are more normally when a, a promise is given out of love, it's a good thing. Right. It's a good thing. I remember my my sister was uh, many of you know, she's 17 years older than I am. And uh, she spoiled me when I was a kid. And uh, I, she was always the best Christmas gift giver. And because uh, I knew every year that if I asked her for whatever I wanted, she would get whatever that was. <laughs> Um, And so uh, I remember during high school, there were these really expensive Nike running watches and I wouldn't ask anybody else for that. I wouldn't bother asking anybody else for that. I had asked my sister for this. It was called a Nike Triax 50 and uh, it was great. And uh, in fact, when I was at home in May, I I found one of those old watches and I was trying to figure out if I could get it to work again because they were so good watches. But anyways, um, I would ask her and out of her love and generosity and kindness uh, she would spoil me with those things. So I could expect these good things from her. Um, and I, I imagine that that sense of kind of this, these promises being sort of situated in the love that God had for the people of Israel was a big deal to them. But the difference is, is that God doesn't give gifts the way that people give gifts. You see, when we think about love and we think about these promises, we think maybe of a glowing thing, right? In fact, we know that there was no glow at the nativity. And yet I challenge you to find a painting, a depiction of a nativity without a glow. So we've actually imported a glow back into something that says no glow. (laughs) Because we love, we, we, we have a hard time envisioning the love of God being sort of earthy, dirt-bound. So that when I tell you an example of something out of my life that is an example of somebody giving me a gift of love, I go immediately to the shiniest, most expensive thing that somebody's given me. My sister giving me these watches. That's, what I, that's where I go in my head. So that I imagine that the people of Israel would go in similar places. Because right? if you read Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11, it sounds like God is going to send this glorious, mighty warrior, this glowing figure whose face would probably shine as brightly as the noonday sun. But when we read the story, there is no glow. There's something deeper. That we, in this season of Advent, and in this season of recognizing and anticipating the love of God in our lives, and in our church, and in our community, we must attune ourselves to something other than the glow. Matthew, in particular, depicts that in the situation of Joseph as he approaches the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to read today from Matthew chapter 1. And they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. If Joseph had been looking for the glow, if Joseph's had been uh sucked in by the uh hundred and fifty dollar Nike watches, would Christmas have happened? I want you to put yourself in your in his shoes that's that's one of my main goals today actually is to put yourself in the shoes of joseph uh, I have preached many many sermons about mary's experience and and Luke especially just him mean he just draws out in beautiful fashion the experience of mary but really this is this is the only kind of uh, window we have into what happens for Joseph in this, in this experience. And it's profound. So Joseph's imagine, okay. Imagine a friend came to you. Okay. And this friend was engaged to be married and this friend came to you and he said, <clears throat> my soon to be wife is pregnant. And I know that I am not the father. What do you think I should do? Who among us, who among us would say, stick it out? Probably not. I mean, really, genuinely, probably most of us would advise him to do exactly what he has in his mind to do, right? Go ahead and break it off. Do it quietly. Don't cause her any undue shame. But. This is not the the kind of foundation upon which a marriage. I mean, we we Christian, great Christian language, right? This is not the foundation upon which a marriage should be built, uh, especially before the eyes of God or some such thing like that. We would say that that would make sense because Joseph is under no compulsion to believe this whole Holy Spirit thing. Certainly, nobody else is going to believe that. I mean, can you can you just for a moment imagine Mary going around and saying? This is this is not any man's child. This is God's child from the Holy Spirit. OK, where can we lock you up at? <laughs> right. And so Joseph's experience. And his his reaction is is totally normal and, and maybe better than normal, because a lot of us, if we were in if we were in that situation, we would not act so graciously towards Mary. Right. We'd be like, move on. You really hurt me. Let me shout it from the rooftops how horrible you are in a Facebook status post or a tweet, <laughs> you know. Um, here, I, wa- I want you to, so I did a little bit of reading this week on um, why Joseph kind of, why, why Matthew talks about these two particular things that Joseph was going to do about dismissing, uh, dismissing her and doing it quietly uh, so as not to cause her any public disgrace. So it was common practice. Arranged marriages were were common practice in this day. So Joseph probably didn't have much of a relationship. He may have not known Mary really at all, in fact. Um, And it was common practice that if a woman would become pregnant uh, before she was married, then the man who uh, was engaged to her, if it was not his child, it was considered unrighteous of him. To uh, to claim that child as his own, to go ahead with the marriage and claim that child as his own, because children are uh, for for people who are extraordinarily impoverished in this in this world. Um, I mean, these people were always one uh, one season short of absolute bankruptcy, right? I mean, if if the if the crop didn't come in, um, they were, might starve. They might literally starve to death. Okay, so these these are, are people of extraordinary uh, impoverished circumstances. And so a child is not just a child. A child is not just a bundle of joy. A child is, is wealth in this. It's another worker. (laughs) It's another person who can maybe help you get a little bit further from uh, disaster as a family. And so it was considered unrighteous and greedy for a man to go ahead and go with the marriage. What he was supposed to do was to step back and to say, um, uh, basically, I'm, I'm not going to marry her and let the real father kind of step forward so that he, he can, A, do his you know, duty of taking care of his family, and B, that this child is not mine. This child belongs to him. And so that was what was supposed to happen. And so Joseph is stepping back and waiting for the real father to step up and do his part of the job. And the other kind of piece to that is what happens to Mary, though? Um, in this, this is, this is a highly uh, male-centered uh, culture and time period. And uh, Mary's shame, because again, who's going to believe the whole Holy Spirit story when she goes around telling people that? Uh, her shame could make her destitute if that man doesn't show up and speak and say, this is my, you know, this is my child. If that doesn't happen, uh, her future is uh, uh, probably homelessness, probably begging, um, total disrepute for the rest of her days, most likely. There are some scenarios under which that might not happen, but most likely. And so Joseph is probably thinking about all these things as he's deciding and thinking, okay, I, I need to divorce her quietly and not put her under public disgrace because if if she's publicly disgraced, then I'm only only adding to this, this dreary future for her. Here's the great irony of this story. So Joseph's whole motive would have been to step out of the way so that the real father could show up and do his duty. So Joseph goes to sleep one night, and who shows up but the real father? And what is the request of the real father? That Joseph fill in, that Joseph do the job, that Joseph be the one to raise this son of his. And so the whole cultural expectation is flipped. Now, what happens to Joseph if he does that? Again, most of the people in the community are not going to believe the, the vir- virginity of, uh, of Mary. And so he's going to look like a man who's stealing another man's child, Or he's going to look like a man who impregnated his fiance before they were married. There's no scenario under which Joseph gets out of this with a clean reputation. God is saying to him, forget the glow. I'm going to ask you to actually step into scandal. I'm going to actually ask you to step into disrepute. I'm going to actually ask you to impoverish your reputation as a righteous man. And why? Because the Holy Spirit is in this, right? That's what the, the, the angel explains to him is that, uh, all the, so that everything looks scandalous. Everything looks broken. Everything looks out of sorts And what God, what the angel says to Joseph to look for is the activity of God. The presence of God's spirit is there. The angel says, And so this Christmas story comes at tremendous cost for Mary, of course, and also at tremendous cost for Joseph. I love this. Uh, I found this this morning, actually, uh, this nativity scene, very unlike any other painting I've, I've come across. Uh, I don't think there's a glow in this particular one, although the projector is dying, so it could be just... <laughs> you now. Uh, so it's it's Mary. She's got the baby uh, in her arms, and there's you know two uh, handmaidens of some kind, uh, midwives maybe that have, have delivered the baby, and uh, and then uh, there's a dog for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, <laughs> it's like oh I got this blank spot on the canvas. I better put something in there. Um, and then but then Joseph is like behind her right, and he's got his hand on his face. And I read the author talking about what he uh, what he's he's trying to depict of Joseph as this overwhelming responsibility and feeling. I mean, imagine imagine not not just the the uh the ruining of Joseph's reputation, but also the responsibility of the angel of the Lord saying to Joseph, "What this child will do is get rid of sin." right?" talk about a child of promise this child is the child of which the prophet isaiah spoke of right and then he quotes isaiah so all that stuff that sammy read earlier the angel of the lord is saying this is the moment this is the child this is the time of god's king who will come and so this this painting of Joseph just overwhelmed at the thought of all that Christmas has and will cost him. I was thinking, Mary's story is very similar, right? Mary's story fills sort of or uh, fits a very similar um of plot line and trajectory her too she there's nothing necessarily uh the birth of christ socially will make her life harder and in fact the uh the angel says that actually this is going to uh what's the right word or the phrase i can't think of it pierce her heart something along the lines of that 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 the the what will happen to her son will, will break her essentially And so she, in this Christmas story, is moved away from glow and into dust. Away from glory and into ashes. But Joseph and Mary's stories are not the only ones that are like that. Their stories mirror Jesus' story. Right in in Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about how Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or or grasped or held on to, but for our sake came to us, was made like us, lived like us. For our sake abandoned the glow of heaven. For our sake abandoned the comfort of of heaven. For our sake abandoned... a reputation even right? over and over again actually jesus 's reputation is is talked about both in um, in isaiah as uh, as pro- um, prophecies about what will happen to he 's a a man scorned he 's a, a man reviled in isaiah fifty three and then also in paul 's reflections back on Jesus he talks often about uh, jesus being um, ashamed put to shame right when jesus is on the cross they strip him naked which obviously for for modesty's sake we don't do when we depict that but he was, i mean he was naked stripped of his honor was the point the uh, roman crucifixion was just as much about humiliation as it was about anything else about complete and total humiliation of those who were executed and so the journey of jesus is the same journey as Joseph and as Mary. So God says to Joseph and to Mary, come along with your son. If you want to be involved in this Christmas story, this is what it will cost you. This is what it will cost you. so i was when we i was so every sunday when we're in the uh room praying with the worship team i always talk about how, how what the sermon's going to be about um this morning i was i i said you know i i'm really comfortable and happy <laughs> i really i really like the glow of my life um whether you think it's glowing or not, I, I happen to really find great peace and joy in it. Um, and so the thought of preaching this sermon and coming to this last moment where obviously the question is, well, now what? How do we respond to that? It's a little terrifying to me. Because I admit to you that my nature is to stay on the left side of this picture Sometimes I find myself sort of feeling like I've been forced into the other side of the picture, where circumstances that are beyond my control force me into despair, into loneliness, into brokenness, into heartache, into failure, all those sorts of things. But then there are other times um, where maybe Jesus says to me, or he may say to you, what I'm asking you to do next will cost you. Because God's love these promises in Isaiah 9 and 11 and elsewhere that are about God's love, certainly there are glorious things that come along with that. Angels singing in the skies. Magi who bring gold to you. But in the midst of that, God's love almost always comes at a... God's love almost always breaks into history and relationships through sacrifice. And so I wonder how your story this Christmas might mirror the story of Joseph, and the story of Mary, and the story of Christ himself. I wonder how my story might do the same. How might we value God's love and God's loving activity in the world in a way that disregards our sense of reputation and honor? How might we cling not to a sense of, of being known as righteous? How might we cling to, to not some sense of our own power in relationships, our own power uh, in, uh, in society, but how might we cling to the activity of God, of his spirit, that is moving not through some uh, glorious upper realm, but through the dirt and through stables and through pain and darkness and heartache. How might we do that? Or how might you open yourself up to this initiative of Christ, this story of Christ saying, I have not come for the glorious I have not come for the glow. I have not come to set up some glorious earthly kingdom and dethrone the Romans. I have come to get into your darkness, to your pain. I have come for you, to walk alongside you, to be with you, to be near to you, to lead you away from your sin and into the glorious, comforting arms of God. So I leave you with these questions. Because even if I were the greatest preacher on earth, I couldn't answer such questions for you. It's hard questions even for myself to answer for me. But as we move through Christmas, as we move through this story together, what might it cost you? What might it cost you? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. Uh, Beyond the the meager limits of my words, I, I thank you that you scorned the cost that this whole enterprise would be for you. I thank you that you came for us for me. I thank you that your your spirit moved in the hearts of Mary and in the hearts of Joseph and compelled them to give up what otherwise might have been theirs for this great work of yours. And God now as as, as I know, your spirit is moving in in the circles of uh, relationships around me i ask you to open me up to what your spirit is doing give me the courage to follow you and god i ask for us as a church that as we um, open our hearts and, and think about this advent this, this sense of your coming both having come coming now and coming in the future god i pray that we would just be open to whatever that cost might be for us as a community of faith. And God, I pray for each person here, for each heart, and for all of the relationships that are represented represented by these lives. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be seen and known and be followed, regardless of what others might say. And God, we know and we thank you for your promise to be with us in the midst of this. You did not leave Joseph alone. You did not leave Mary alone. You did not leave your son alone to face the cost. And so we cling to that hope that you will walk this road with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.